Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Last week, I talked about the poison of complacency. That Christians can get used to this routine of religion. We get used to a particular system or way that a church does things. We just get settled into the routine and the system, and we begin to lose our heart as well as our love for it. We're religious, and we do that, and that's not a good thing. Because, see, poison is something that taints or destroys or impairs in some way. Poison can come in little mixtures. You could put a little strychnine in a Pepsi bottle, just enough to wear you out, and you'd never know it was in there. Pepsi tastes the same, looks all right, looks like it always did, satisfies your thirst. You just notice a difference later. Or somebody notices the difference in you. Poison is like that in religion. They're just those things the devil is able to do. Ways he's able to maneuver in your life. Ways he can distract you, misinform you, or mislead you, or get you to let something in your life that's cool. And yet it devastates some part of your Christian testimony so that well, you quit worshiping and praising God because, you know, after what you did last night and you were so-and-so was in here, he was with you too, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And in that way, the devil just begins to erode your life. And then you settle back and just become a complacent, well, I'm as good as anybody else type person. It's a bad thing. Now, this morning, and still talking about poison, I want to begin today. I don't think I'll finish today, but the title of the message this morning is When Love is Poisoned. When love is poisoned. Now I want to invite you to ask yourself, how can that be? How can love be not what it's supposed to be? How can love be poisoned? Could we as Christians be in a church for 30 years, participating in all of its activities, listening to sermons, contributing, giving, whatever we do as a church? Could we do that and seriously or sincerely not love the Lord? Could we do that because we love what we do? Could we do that because we love how we feel about what we do? I gave 100 bucks this morning. I really feel good about myself. Well, that means you didn't give it because you love the Lord. You love how you feel. We can do a lot of things because we're in love with the system. Have you ever heard of a devout Catholic? My daddy was a Catholic, so I can say that. Have you ever heard of a devout Catholic? He's devoted, that's what the word devout means, he's devoted to the system. He participates. He's very careful to do things right. He has a commitment to that system that makes him feel good. He has a good feeling when he leaves church or leaves his confession booth. And he's committed to that because he benefits from it and he likes it. Does he love God? Does he love the Lord? Well, he doesn't read his Bible. He knows nothing about it. My daddy didn't. And so he disqualified himself right there. Now, see how hard this already starts to sound? Let me read this. Revelation chapter 2. And unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Well, that's in the last verse. 
of chapter 1. It'll tell you what those things are. So he's talking about the messengers to the church as well as the churches themselves. Now, some people, some scholarly people think that these are seven church ages and that certain individuals who made a mark in history had a message in these ages and it was to the church and so forth. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't read it like that. I just read it like I'm reading it now. In verse 2, here's what he says to the church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works, I know your labor, and your patience, and know that you cannot bear them which are evil, and that you try them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and you have borne and have patience again, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Let me ask you a question. Is that a pretty good testimony for a church? I would say so. It's a working church. Seems to be very diligent. Whoever is teaching them, whoever is motivating this church are pretty good people. People are busy and active. They know they should be. They labor. They carry the weight of their burden. Everybody carries his load, does his part. They participate. They get along. If somebody comes in and says he's some so-and-so, well, they put him to the test. We're not going to have that kind of stuff here. We're not going to let somebody come in here and disrupt our church. So they were sticklers. And the Bible says they did this for the Lord's namesake. You and I would have to both agree. Great. But look at the fourth verse. Nevertheless, I have somewhat or I have this against you because you have left your first love. Now, you know and I know that everybody that reads that stops right there and asks the question, what does this mean? And most of the time we glance past it and say, I don't know what it means. But Jesus said to the church that was busy and active, he said a lot of good things about this body of believers. I mean, it's the kind of church people look for so they can be a member of. This is not a lazy, indifferent church sitting around doing nothing. This is a good church, busy. He said, nevertheless, with all your business, the church would not receive this because they would be able to point to what they're doing to say, look how much we love the Lord. Look what we do. Jesus said, I have this against you. I stand in opposition to you about one thing. You have left your first love. Now, I am sure they were as quiet as you are if they were listening to this. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Now, would you read it like this, that as Jesus says it, if you have left your first love, you have fallen? You're not standing anymore in favor, but you have fallen. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with me that if Jesus says to a church or a congregation or an age, whatever you want to call it, I have this against you. With all your notoriety and your testimony in the community, I have this against you as a church. You all have left your first love. Then he said that again in that fifth verse. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. There was a point in time in your life that this began to happen. 
There was a point in time this began to happen. You began to switch over from doing it God's way to doing it your way, and you liked your way better than God's way. And God's checking you, and he said, this is not what I want. Now, this is what you want. You've got all this just exactly the way you want it. Remember the Laodicean church in chapter 3? You've got a name that you're this, but he said, you're miserable, you are wretched, you are blind, you are poor, and you're naked. That's in chapter 3, the last church of these seven churches. Jesus said, you know, you all have done well in the community. Everybody looks up to you as a church. Wow, look at this church. Look at the... And they look up to them, and they have a name. Nobody criticizes that bunch. People would say they love the Lord. You couldn't love the Lord and not do what they do, the way they do it. And yet Jesus said, I have this against you. You're wretched. You're miserable. This is in God's eyes. You're naked, you're blind, and you're really poor. You really don't have anything. If your life ended now and you stood before me, there's not much about you that I would want or accept. Because the way you've chosen to live is you have taken the things of God and used them, but you didn't do it for the glory of God. You did it for your own glory. That's why you put a man's name on the front of it. That's why the man's pictures in all the publications, why the man is glamorized and glorified. It's not what I want. It's what you wanted. We get embarrassed. We get insulted. We get mad about that. But I'm just going to read it. Again, verse 5, therefore, remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else, or else, I will come unto you quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Repent means turn around. Now, my message this morning is about when love is poisoned, because the one particular thing he singles out in this congregation is love. We have many ways that we define love in, in our society. Most everybody has a definition of some sort of love. It's a tenderness, compassion, caring, kind-hearted, giving, attendance to, being merciful, and that's true. Love will do all of that. And we have this definition that anybody that does all of that loves the Lord. Well, that's not necessarily true. How many of you believe that a person could do a lot of religious things to impress other people? How many of you believe that a preacher could act a certain way, preach a certain way, gesture a certain way to gain the admiration of the people without even believing what he says? Now, if you believe what I said and what I said is the word of God, it'll benefit you, but it won't benefit me. Let's see if we can prove that. Can we prove that? Many will say to me in that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, we preached in the streets. We did miracles. Lord, we did this and Lord, we did that and we cast out demons. Lord, I led a great campaign and preached to 6,000 people and a 1,000 of them came forward. Lord. And you know what he said to him? You know what he said to him? I never knew you. I never even knew you. I honored your words, 
Because if you put the word of God in your mouth and you go preach it, even if you're not even a Christian, and you preach the word and somebody hears what you say and they believe what you say, God will honor his word, won't he? It doesn't benefit you. You don't get anything out of this. Because your heart's not right. You love yourself. You love the praise. You love admiration. You don't love God. You prove that by how you live through the week, what you do with yourself when you're alone and in private, who you talk to and how you talk. You don't give God access to your life in all areas of your life. Listen to what he says to his people about love. Go back to Deuteronomy 6. Call this Shema. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. This is a verse that many of the religious Jews quote it twice a day because of what it says. And because by tradition it was handed down that this is what, if you're good, you will. If you're a good Jew, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, verse 2, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all your soul and with all your might. Now, how would you describe this person? If God requires me to love him that way, then what kind of person will I be? I mean, I'll still get up and go to work and live a married life and raise kids, won't I? But how will my relationship to God be affected if I'm like that? It means that everything I do will be in harmony with what he wants. He that knoweth to do good and doesn't doeth it, to him it's sin because it was not an act of love, not an act of caring about the Lord. You like yourself. You like how you run things. You like the admiration you get for doing it your way. God doesn't run all of it. Look at how many churches leave out so much of Scripture. There are churches who don't want to water baptize because they chose to interpret that another way. There are people who want to leave this out of their church life because that's not how we've always done it. Well, what does God want? A member of a church once said, I was going to talk to him about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He said, you know, I don't care what you say, we're not going to believe it. Well, you know what I would say today? You don't love the Lord. All your friends say, oh, they love the Lord. No, they don't. They like their system and don't want to change it. They like the way they set it up. It's man-made for man by man. They don't want to change it. They like it. They don't want anybody else changing it. It's their system, whether it's Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Church of Christ, Christian Church, Pentecostal, Church of God, name one. It seems like everybody has a system. And not very often are the people in that system willing to change anything about it. But he said this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. Love trumps everything else in your life. It's the one supreme thing that God requires, the one simple and supreme thing that God says is the most important thing on this earth. He mentioned three vital things in a Christian life, faith, hope, and love. Remember that? But he said the greatest of these is love because it never stops. Faith will end. How many of you know you won't need to have faith in heaven? You won't need to hope in heaven, but you'll have love because God is love. 
And everybody that's born of him has that love in them. Sometimes it looks like people do, but they really don't. But you need to find that out now. This is not an easy message. I knew that when I started into this. I thought, boy, this could get real complicated. And it could. But so be it. So be it. For a Christian, it means that you put God first. It means that you dedicate your life, your will, what you have, who you are, whatever. You dedicate it, commit it all to God. It all belongs to him. Now, you, unless you've been born again, you've never done that before. You just grew up like I did in church, and my mother took me to Sunday school class. My daddy and my brother went to Catholic church, and my mother and I went to Christian church. Just the way it was. Didn't mean anything. Didn't even matter. Just the fact that we went to church. I felt good about it. Didn't believe anything. Didn't have to. Didn't matter. Didn't have to love the Lord. Never was mentioned. But when you love the Lord, he becomes the central and supreme issue and focus of your life. It's no longer what school am I going to go to or who am I going to marry or what should I buy. Or Everything comes back to how you relate to God. Turn to Luke 14. Now, the reason I'm having you jump around as much is because this book is full of jumping around scriptures on love. Love is from one end of this book to the other. And it's hard just to quote it because I want you to see it. And yet it's just the way it is. We have to look at it. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. Luke 14 and 26. If any man in Shelbyville or wherever you are, if any man comes to me, who is me? Jesus. Now stop a minute. I, I like to do this. Why would anybody come? Jesus said, I didn't say this. Jesus said, if any man comes to me, I'm asking the question, why would anybody come? Look how many don't. Now, you know this is true. You know the world is full of religious people who have come to the church but not to Jesus because they get offended at what he says in the Bible, and they want to argue that that couldn't be so for the day. Talk about marriage or giving or whatever you want to talk about. And they just don't want that to be so. So they kind of fight against it. They don't love the Lord. They love themselves. They don't want to give up. So why would you want to come to the Lord? Because you know, as well as I do, you can't just come to the Lord. You can feel bad about your sins last night, about what you did last night and what you said last night. Oh, I'm sorry, God. Or hugging that commode when you were throwing up at, oh, I'll never, I swear to God. And you said all that. But once you cleaned up and cleared up, you just ready to go again. You didn't mean what you said because you liked what you did. You loved yourself. I love my time. I love things my way. I like my money. I don't want anybody to tell me what I can do with my money. It's my body. If I want to get an abortion, I don't like it because you're selfish. You love yourself. Self-love, self-centered, selfish. The world's full of it. God saved us like that. He brought us to him, brought us out of that miry clay, brought me to him. I just realized this week, working on this, how selfish in many areas of my life, it just came up. I thought, oh, well, I'd repent. Shut the book and just repent for being so selfish with things and areas. I didn't even see it. 
some things are just going on and you can't see it. And God shows it to you and it humbles you. I mean, it's just like God saying, you ain't much. You wasn't when I called you. You wasn't when I saved you. And really, you're not now. But I'm going to use you, and I'm going to save you, but you're going to do it on my terms, my way. And I'm not going to let you look the other way when I read this book to you, when I have somebody preach to you. You're going to hear what it says, and you're going to have to deal with it. Because if I'm going to save you, you're going to have to love me. And your love for me has to supersede your love for your life for your wife, for your children, for your brothers, for your sisters, for anything and everything. You've never been like this before. Only God can make you like this, and when he saves you, that's what he does. He said, if any man comes to me, verse 26, if any man comes to me and hate not his father and his mother, and his wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the problem there is the word hate, because we always think, how can you love your parents, love and honor your parents, if then he tells you to hate them? Well, he means when the alternative in your life is to not be willing to give up this in order to do it God's way, you've got to hate that. Just like when God saves you, brought you out of your sinful past. If you don't hate what you did, you'll go back. I've seen people do it my whole life. If you don't hate what you did, you'll go back. If you didn't hate all that drinking and carousing and dope and stuff, you'll go back. Because the devil's waiting on you just to power down and give you a bad day and make you wish you're back. And if the only way you're going to have any fun is go back this other way. Because your life is all about you. It's not about Jesus. It's all about you. No cross in your life because the cross is where you die and he lives, and I don't want to do that. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to sit there and be there and sing. Oh, da, 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 da. I'm going to do all of that. I'm not ready to give up my life and everything. Well, then you cannot be his disciple. Somebody says, well, I don't appreciate you saying that. Well, I'm sure you don't. I'm absolutely sure you don't like me saying that. But what does your Bible say? If you don't put me before your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your family, even your own life, which you're trying so hard to preserve and make it look good, if you can't put God before that, you can't be his disciple. Matthew 10, verse 37. Matthew 10, verse 37. He that loveth ball games on Wednesday night more than he does the Lord. Uh-oh, now we're meddling. I'm seeing too much. I'm not talking about us here necessarily because I talk to other people. I see this, you know, 20 years ago, that would have never happened. There wasn't enough ball games in the world to drag you away from another chance to meet with the Lord and hear his word. Nothing could keep you from that. And here we are 20 years later, 25 years later, wasn't any problem at all to do that. And you look at the life, how much you're giving back into the ways of the world, which once you said, well, that ain't the way God wants us to live. And my commitment is to him. I ain't going to do that. But he said in verse 37, he that loveth father and mother more than me is what? Who is not worthy of me. And he that loveth his children more than me is not worthy of me. In verse 33, he said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my heavenly father. 
Would there ever come a time in your life you'd put God before your children? Would ever come a time you put God before your life? Before your very life? Your life. Jesus said you got to love him that way. You got to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. All everything that you are, whatever you can do, you love him the most. That's the way you do it. And the way you can prove that you have that love for him is by asking yourself the question, what I'm doing, who am I doing it for? What's behind this decision I just made? I don't mean you have to go through life, you know, every little well. I'm see, I'm thinking about stopping here or going through the yellow light or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about decisions you have to make in your life, especially things that will determine how you live. If you're Christian, it has to come down to the fact that I am committed to God because the one thing the word love means, if love means anything at all, it's commitment. We're even told in the Old Testament, commit your way to the Lord, rest in the Lord, commit your way. I married Bonnie. Bonnie and I got married 50 years ago, August. Man, I've had a hard time. But anyway, 50 years ago, August, bless her heart. Now, many times in those 50 years, the love that you started with, that walking the aisle love, you know, and that looking up front, oh, man, you are it. And she's looking up at him and says, you are too. Now, that's what we call love, and this is happily ever after in the sunset, white horses off, you know, all that kind of stuff. And how many of you know that in the course of 50 years, there might be, there might be a time or two when it's, you don't exactly see things the same way. So much today of marriage is called love, but it's all based on whether I get what I deserve. Now, if you treat me good, supper, sex, and all the other things that goes with what we call a happy marriage, if you perform, we'll do well. But now, if you don't perform well, I, you know, I'm just, you know, run around or do something. Here's the deal. When God tells you, when you get married, to love your wife is to commit your way into her, whether she does well or not, whether she performs well or not, whether she can perform or not, whether she is able to even do anything or not. You made a decision when you married her. You gave an oath that you will love this woman so long as we both shall live. And it's not left off because one of y'all didn't do well. My wife has loved me when I did not deserve it. Now, if I said she has been loved when she didn't deserve it, all her kids would be all over me at the church and just fussing at me all because they think she's St. Duane or somebody. But anyway, but anyway, you don't love your wife because she always does what you like. You love your wife because you made a decision that this is the woman that God brought into your life, you know, that God gives you a wife, that God gives you a husband. That God made the choice. He just made you aware of it, and you love this person, and you want to live with this person the rest of your life. And the reason so much divorce happens 
because somebody gets turned off. Their commitment was only as far as whether or not I'm enjoying this fellowship or not, this marriage. We do that to God. How many times have folks said, well, if God's going to do that, then I'm out. Well, why would God do that? They blame it on God. Blame something on God, their accident, the wreck, the disease, the divorce, something. Blame it on God, and I'm done. Their commitment, their love for God was only as far as getting something that they like, happiness and comfort. As long as he makes me happy, as long as he makes me comfortable, I'll be there, precious Jesus, I'll be there. But if you mess up, if I don't get my raise and all this kind of stuff, I ain't coming back to church. That's because you're a self-centered, selfish, unregenerate person. How's that? You said the right words. You gave the right words in your oath. You did all the verbal things right, but your heart was wrong. And God starts with the heart. He said, with your heart, you must love. Not with your head. You love with your heart. If you can't love with your heart, then you can't love at all. Jesus quoted the Shema in Mark 12. He said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy strength. This is the first great commandment. It's the first one. You love the Lord. He's the one you love. Now, how do we get this love? As I said a while ago when he says, if any man comes to me, he doesn't hate his mother, father, and so forth. I asked you a question, how do we get this love? How many of you would say this morning quietly, I want to love the way God wants me to love? How many of you inside of you would say amen? I want for God to describe me as one who loves him. Amen. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. Now here's how it works. We love him. If we do, Brother Hamilton, are you saying that not all Christians love the Lord? I'm saying that multitudes of Christians don't love the Lord. They love themselves and they love the religious system. Most of them are turned off by what the Lord wants. Remember, what does the Lord require of thee? Do justly, love mercy, and walk cool with thy God. You got to be cool. Walk around with a scowl on your face. Look at me. Is that what he wants? That's arrogance and pride. Humility costs you that. You got to give it up and recognize that God is only pleased with me doing things his way. Now, if I'm really a Christian, that's what I'm willing to do. I don't care who else does it or doesn't do it. That's what I'm going to do. First John four nineteen. We love him for this reason. We love Jesus because Jesus first loved us. Do you believe that? Let me say this. You could not love him unless he first loved you. Well, God loves everybody. Maybe that's why he said to the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil. Doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of love there, does it? But anyway, that's another sermon. He said, we love him this morning because 
He chose to love us first. Now, listen to Jeremiah's version of the same thing. Just hold on, Jeremiah 31. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So, would you agree with me here that if God loves you, he'll draw you? When I think about it, I want you to be thinking people. Don't take my word for anything. Search the scripture, see if it's true. If he said, I have drawn you unto me with my loving kindness, which I would understand to say, as he said in 1 John 4, I cannot love the Lord. I can go to church and do all that. I can preach without loving the Lord. I can stand on street corners and pass out tracks, go to mission fields, and do a lot of things without loving the Lord and get results. That's not possible. Let me prove it. Can I prove it? Put your finger wherever you are, 1 John 4, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I told you you're going to turn all these verses. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love. I think this is pretty clear. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, I'm noise. I'm just a lot of noise. I think there's a lot of noise in the church. I think you can speak with tongues of men and angels and not love the Lord. You might love the way people look at you and admire you and look up to you and want to ask you questions and make you feel important. You explain it to me. Look at verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, write books, and have a TV program. But if I don't have love, all I have is the admiration of men and not of God. Would you agree? People will admire me. God will not. Why? Is it possible now for somebody who does not love the Lord to understand the word, read the word, and then go out and preach the word and apply the word? Is it not possible that somebody could get healed as he lay hands on them? He didn't heal them. The Lord healed them. The Lord healed them because the person who got healed believed what the guy that laid hands on him said. Healing always comes from God, doesn't come from man. God uses man many times. But God honored his word. It profited this man nothing. He didn't lay hands on that man to heal that man because he had compassion on that man like Jesus did. Jesus stayed with them all day long by the thousands. Wouldn't send them home without feeding them and then worked a miracle to get them all fed. You know why? Because he had compassion on them. And he described that kind of love. He said, Father, in John 17, the love that you've given me is in them. And I am in them. It's a love relationship. And without love, it's a religious exercise, but it's not a relationship. I'm telling you something, folks. This business of love goes far deeper than maybe what we've come to in our lives. Because this is the very core of whether or not God accepts or approves of what we do. We're going to go get us a loan and build us a new building. That's not the way he said to do it. Well, why not? I don't see why. And then we get into the world's way of, well, why not? What's wrong with it? You know, I don't see what's wrong with that. 
Everybody else does. And so we set aside what he says, oh, no man, anything, in order to do what everybody else does. And we build our building. We put a nice sign on it, put shrubbery around it. Everybody comes. Everybody's happy. But that's not the way God said to build it. We're happy, but he might say to us, I have this against you. you I know your works, your labor. I know how you're born and you've done this and you've done that. Thank you, Lord. But I have this against you. What do you mean you have against us? He said, you've left your first love. First love. Yeah, the love you had at the beginning. Not for your wife. Not for food. Not for presents and trips and prizes. But the love you had at the beginning of your walk with Jesus. That time when it started and the way you conducted your life right after that. That's what you walked away from. You don't have that anymore. You may think about that. You may wonder why things have changed, but it's not so much that things have changed as you have changed. Are you still in 1 John 4? If not, look on your neighbor's Bible. Look at verse 7. Love is of God. If you have love, where does it come from? Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. And knoweth God. Would you say this? Would you agree? We're, we're just taking it a little bit by bit. That if a man loves God, it's because he has been born of God. And God at this birth gave him the way God wants him to live. Love. That with this born of God that he speaks of here, with being born of God, God deposits in your life an attraction, a devotion, a commitment, and a love towards him. Just like God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Did you think the world loved God? What kind of shape is the world in? This hateful, nasty, vulgar unclean world. You think this world appreciates God? No. He sent his son into it anyway, didn't he? For one reason. You. He didn't come to save the whole world. If he did, he failed. He came to save those whom God had given him. And for that to happen, there had to be the shedding of blood of a lamb. And he was the lamb of God and so forth. In verse 10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Look at verse 16. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. Let me tell you when all this started, and I can only use myself and pray that you have something similar. From what I've read so far, I could not love the Lord until God first loved me. And as he said back in verse 7, everyone that loves God is born of God. So there's a birth that had to take place in me in order for me to love. You would agree with that. Otherwise, all I can do is have affection and attraction to the church and to people and the 
the feeling of the songs and the organ music and the choir and all the nice presentation. You know, I just love that. There are three Greek words for love, agape or agapeo. Then there's P-H-I-L-E-O. And then there's eros, E-R-O-S. That's the sexual love. But the two main words for love in the New Testament is agape or agapeo and phileo. Now, agape is the kind of love that God has. It's a love that goes out and keeps going out whether anything comes back or not. It's a giving. It's a sharing. It's something that is inspired by higher power to love people because they're people. God puts you before them. If they don't give you anything back, it doesn't matter. You still have a smile on your face. You don't say, well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't give him anything anymore. You don't do that because you love God. It's because of your love for God that you love people. It's because you love for God that you love your wife. I get a higher quality of love from my wife than I would if she wasn't saved. Not that she's ever been like that, but if she wasn't saved, I'd have to hear all that yaya. I had to listen to that. I never have, don't have to. So, agape is when you love because it's what God wants. You help people. You give people money. You show mercy. Mercy is an act of love. You don't look for a reward. Sometimes you help people and you just disappear. They don't know who did it. Nobody gets a reward except the Lord. Love's like that. When God loved the world, look at how the world treats God. He did it anyway. How many times do we love our children when our children are absolutely unloving? Why do you keep loving them? Because something in your heart can't let go. There's something that's caring in there. I believe God puts that in there. I do. You know, love can do amazing things. Love for your country. A lot of soldiers have died, had a patriotic spirit of service because they love their country and they died. And that's what we talk about, love. Agape is something that when it's applied to us and God, it is us doing things the way God wants us to do it because God is now the ruler and Lord of our lives. Phileo now, on the other hand. Phileo, well, this is what we like. Phileo is like, enjoying. It's a Democrat to a Democrat, a Republican to a Republican. Phi Beta Kappa Iota Sigma something or other to another one of them. It's fraternity to fraternity. It's like to like. It's what you derive pleasure from. A lot of our love in church is because we like the service. We like this or that. As long as they don't preach too hard, we like it. But if they start preaching and I get convicted, I don't like it. Because I don't love the word. I love myself. And this is more of a self-love. And when you're honest, remember Peter in John chapter 21? When Jesus cooking those fishes and Peter knew it was him, dove out of the boat and came to shore. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Simon Peter, lovest thou me more than these? You agape me, you have a surrendered commitment to me more than these. Peter said, I really like you. I really like being around you. I, I really like you. 
But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm sacrificially committed to you because I just proved for the crucifixion that I'd rather save my life than defend yours. Remember that? Rooster crowed and Peter said all that. Then he went and wept bitterly. Peter said, there's no sense. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I love you the way you want me to. I don't. I've been around you a lot. I enjoy it. I've watched the three and a half years. I've watched what you do and seen all the goods you've done. And (laughs) you sent us out. We did the same things. But I realized when they were crucifying you and putting you to death that I wasn't willing to lay my life down for you. And you taught us in John 15 and verse 13, greater love is no man than this, and a man lay down his life for my friends. And then he said, and you are my friends if you do what I say. Wow. So, you got agape. We call them, sometimes we think they're weird, too religious. And we got phileo, which are the gobs. The gobs are the good old boys. We don't go too far. We don't back off too much. We're not hot. We're not cold. We're the good old boys. We like our church. Come on, join us. We get donuts after it's over. Donuts are good. <laughs> but we start with a new birth, folks. Just as I am and waiting, not verse 2, to rid my soul. I've one dark blot, and on that verse, I followed my wife to the front. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was just overwhelmed, greatly convicted as a basketball coach in a high school, knowing that I'm breaking all traditional rules. And nobody does this, but I'm doing it. I went forward, didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. But I was making as best a decision that I could to surrender my life to God. I surrender a whole lot of me. Surrender. I dedicated myself to the Lord. I desired for God to forgive me of all my rotten sins. And all my filthy lifestyle, all the cussing and vulgarity and practice and halftime and and during games and the rotten jokes and all the shameful things that I said that my buddies all like to hear. I just one day just said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I've lived like this. I've heard of you all my life, but I have never come to grips with who you are. And I am now, and I ask you to receive me, for I repent of my sins. Made my way to the front. Made my way up there. I confessed my sins to God. I told the Lord he was mine and I am his. I had no clue what that meant, but there's something in me that said this is the way it's going to be. And turned it over to him. My life began to change. I didn't try to make it change. First thing I want to do is read the Bible. Turn to John 14. First thing I want to do was read the Bible. I wanted to read it and see what it said. I didn't know. But I had something for it I never had before. Let me ask you something. Where did that come from? 
It had to come from God, didn't it? Something in me like a stream running free. What was motivating me, I couldn't get enough church, couldn't go to enough meeting, couldn't sit around and talk about the Lord enough. There many times I didn't even go and scout an opponent for basketball that I really knew that I should because there was a really good meeting somewhere. And I knew I was changing quite drastically then when the teacher in school said, you need to slow down. And I said, what are you talking about? And I'm holding my Bible at track meet, being a judge at the broad jump pit. He looked at that Bible. Look at there. And I said, well, praise the Lord. He said, see what I mean? I'm changing. I wasn't like that before. Why am I changing? He's, uh, he's changing me. My blessed Savior, I'm person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I shall be. Who did this? The Lord. The Lord is putting this stuff in my heart, changing things around. Look at John 14, verse 15. In John 14 and verse 15, there's a, a statement made. Does it apply to you? If you love me, what does he say? Now look at me. Folks, you can't keep it if you don't know it. You can't not walk in something you don't have. You cannot walk in light if you don't have it. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I promise you this, that as he leads you through this journey called life, you're going to run into many situations in which you're going to be put to the test as to whether you love the Lord the most. Remember Deuteronomy 13? If that prophet or that dreamer of dreams comes along and he gives you a sign or a wonder where I'll be spake and that dreamer or that wonder comes to pass, but then he starts giving you something different than what you've heard, he said, you shall not listen to that dreamer of dreams. The Lord is testing you to see what's in your heart, whether you love the Lord or not. Because if you love the Lord, you don't follow anybody else because you gave it all to him, didn't you? I think you even come to a place where you're not afraid to trust your life to God because your life doesn't belong to you. You were bought with a price. Love not your life to the death. And that in Revelation chapter 12, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives to the death. What kind of people are we talking about? We haven't seen much of this in Christianity. What are we talking about? We're talking about people. We're talking about people that have been born again. People that will not undo this connection with the Lord. That the decision that they made a long time ago, they're going to keep doing it. Look at verse 23, John 14. John 14 and verse 23, Jesus says, to said, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and we'll dwell in him, make our abode in him, Christ in you. What about that? What about back there in John 15, verse 10? If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Does he say that? Of course he did. Even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. 
This is my commandment, Shelbyville, that you love one another as I have loved you because greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for my friends and you are my friends if you do what I command you. Would you look back in 1 John 2 and verse 5? But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. You have to read this. You'll have to study this yourself and look at the multiplied numbers of scriptures that have to do with the effect and the action of love in order to examine and test yourself to see whether you're loving or not. Look at chapter 5, 1 John 5. In verse 3, for this is the love of God. How many times does the Bible say this? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are hard. Doesn't say that, does he? His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're not difficult. No, sir, when we were born again, we became a new creature in Christ Romans 6, 4 talks about walking in newness of life. Everything changed. And listen, this is when your first love began, if it began at all. It started right here. Something was so different in your life that had never been there before that the average church member can't understand this. If all you've ever done is join church, then this is way over your head. Because when God does what he does... He puts inside of you himself, or he puts his love on the inside of you like that. You're a new creature. You're a brand new person. You try to define it. You can't. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, he said, you know, love passes knowledge. You can't define it. We just see what it does to us. Man, I'm going to turn the other cheek, let people take advantage of me, abuse me. They get your parking space and tell you how old they are. You know, they're one year old. You just back out. You can have it. And boy, the devil said, well, you're going to take, once you got to hit him in the mouth. Don't do that no more. Don't even want to. Well, what if he's got out of the car and smacked you? I guess I don't know what I'd do, but I think I'd turn the other cheek. Well, what if he smacked that cheek? Start it all over, I guess. Or else I'd tell my feet to do what they're able to do and get out of there. I don't think God told us just to go around and let people beat on us all the time if they wanted to. Hey, come over here, Hamlet. I want to smack on you. I don't think that's what he says. But on the other hand, if you love God, you trust God. The whole operation of our faith, taking God at his word is an act of love. I know you got a Bible, and if you just looked in Galatians 5 and probably verse 6, maybe verse 6, if you just happened to look there, you would find that it says that the thing that really counts with God is faith, which works by love. I want to be healed. You know why I want to be healed? The highest purpose for being healed or well, like he said in the Bible, because it pleases God. Doesn't it? Thy will be done on earth. Are you going to be sick in heaven? Then he said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's more to his will than just you being healed. That's true. But that's part of it too. There's just so much here. 
But if you love the Lord, if you love him, if you really have committed yourself to him and you meet many crossroads in your life and there you say, you know, this is going to cost me my rest. This is going, oh man, you have no other choice than to do what God said if you're a Christian. Because what else, let me ask you something, what else is right? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'm talking to all of us today. This is what God wants. This is why joy comes. When the Lord turned our captivity, Psalm 126 says, we were like those that dreamed and was our mouth filled with laughter. And those around us heard us singing and joyful. I've seen people my whole life that I know are Christians. I know my wife, you know, I know she's joyful. I told little Gus when one of my grandsons, I said, Granny's mean. You know what he told me? He said, Granny's not mean, Granny's happy. <laughs> How old is he? Three? A three-year-old can see that. Granny's not mean, Granny's happy. You don't have to tiptoe around Granny. She's having one of them days today. <laughs> Don't say that to Brother Hamilton. He, you know, he's in one of them moods. That's not supposed to be. But I've seen it many times, just like you have. Now, would you go back to Revelation 2 so we can terminate our comments this morning and get ready to pick it up again next week? How then was this love that started out so well, how does it get poisoned? Can a man turn away from God? Can a man frustrate the grace of God? Bible says he can. Can a man know what is right and not do it? Christians do it all the time. The world out there looks at Christians and then they measure Christianity by the Christians. You can't really blame them because that's all they know. They've never heard anything. They don't know. But when you come into church, we're a little tighter than that. We look at each other and say, you know what? We need to tighten up. We say we love the Lord, but then the choices we're making, the places we're going, the things we're doing, the clothes we wear, the music we listen to, all these kind of things are giving evidence that we don't. The system is what people love. Jesus said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. One of the great commentaries is Henry Alford. It doesn't matter who he is, but this is a comment that he made at the end of his comments about this verse. He said, the love of first conversion has waxed cold and given place to a lifeless and formal orthodoxy. I grew up in that. We just learned how to do religious things. We can be religious, folks. We can be religious and be bored. Not look forward to what we're doing. Not really expect the Lord to speak to us, even though we're his. We can come as my people come. It's Ecclesiastes. He said, I saw the wicked going to the house of God. I saw the wicked buried. They went in, they came out. They were the same because they came out. Well, they went in, nothing happened because they weren't designed anything happened. It's just church. So in preparation for next week, the question that we ask is, 
He said, you have left your first love. I have this against you. You're fallen. Now, how serious does that mean that you're fallen? Can we be poisoned by the world's way and our friend's way and give up certain ways that we learn and that poison us? It sure can. Amen. How about you? Has that happened to you? Will it happen to you? Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless us this morning with light and conviction that as the song we sing says, teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. I ask, O Lord, that you would define for us not only the way we're living right now, but that the way we're supposed to, that we would not soon forget what we have been taught here for so many years. Give us a heart that is totally dedicated, yielded and committed with all of our strength, all of our soul, and all of our might to our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will sing.
step by step And step by step Amen. Hallelujah.